You're listening to Early Doors Football Podcast with host Mark Roach and co-host Dylan Kerr, Tom Watt and Sherelle Casal, a For The Now media production. Welcome to the Early Doors Football Podcast and, and this week I'm delighted to introduce a guest who will be well known to Crystal Palace fans, Alan Smith. You managed Crystal Palace twice, also Wickham Wanderers, but Actually, I believe I'm right in saying that you started your coaching career with Wimbledon back in their non-league days. Have I got that right? Yeah, I loved it. I worked under a guy called Alan Batsford, who was absolutely brilliant. Won the Southern League Championship three years off the trot. He used to beat the, the. He went up to Leeds for the team, and I was his assistant. Learned more from him probably than I did anyone else. Absolutely brilliant. Before I went on to Dulwich Hamlet, I went and watched on Saturday, and they were just. Phenomenal. Well, and, and you've, you've worked with um, with a few well-known managers. You've, you've worked, um, obviously, a couple of times at, at, at Palace. Tell, tell us about that transition from Wimbledon then to Dulwich Hamlet and then getting into uh, being involved at, at Palace. How, how did that kind of come about, that transition? Well, I was at Wimbledon to start with and then they went into the Football League and I couldn't really... I was working for Ron Nodes. I think he offered me £10 a week to be the coach. For the first team, and I just couldn't, uh, you know, I just couldn't do it for £10 a week. I had a mortgage, I had a young kid. So I moved to Dulwich, and the deal was at Dulwich that I earned £5 more than my best player, was a guy called Ozzy Bayram, who I saw on Saturday. Go to, then Ron Nodes goes to Palace, he invites me to join in there. I meet the great Alan Mallory, who was one of my heroes, absolute legend, you know, took Fulham to the cup final. Uh, but he, he had a bit of a rough time with Ron and I, I said to it, Alan in the end, I said, look, Alan, uh, trust me, the best thing you can do is go in and see Ron knows he's a bully. So you want new balls, we want new kit, we're going to start a game, we want the club run properly. And he ran me in the afternoon, he said, Alan, I've been in, I've seen him, I've got new ball, new kit, I want new training facilities. I said, brilliant, what happened? He said, I've got the sack. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me now that that happened. So then in walked Steve Coppel. 28 years old, I'm 38. He's played for Manchester United over 200 times. He played for England. And I start talking to Steve Coppel saying, well, we did this at Dulwich, Steve, and we did this at Wimbledon. And he's such a nice bloke. He just sort of looked at me and thought, you know, you know, well, we didn't quite do that when I was at Manchester United with Dave Sexton and um, Tommy Doherty was his big hero. But we immediately liked one another. I, I see him now once a week and it, it was just a great lovely working relationship really and and tom you i know you've uh, you've met alan haven't you and you you've had a few uh, i guess you've been to see see him when he's been involved in in, in football what you know how, how yeah yeah no we did, we did we did have a show we used to do on the radio for quite a while actually wasn't it al um yeah, friday, night. friday nights on the radio um and I remember you saying that I did get you the um, the Palace job back doing that radio show. <laughs> um, because the thing was, people would listen to Alan on a Friday evening, me and him talking about football, and Alan would talk so much sense. Somebody or other went, better give him a job then, better bring him back to Palace. But then, of course, he gets his foot in the door and all the sense disappears, you know what I mean? Because he's madman for football, like all of us. But I just, we, there are so many interesting memories I've got, Alan. Do you know, you probably won't remember this, 
But I remember the, I, I, it would have been the first time you were at Palace, I think. I remember going out to dinner at Langham's right. with you and Clinton Morrison and yeah. Julian Gray. Correct. And I was so interested that what you what you what you did with those young players, and you look at what the two of them have done since. Do you know what I mean? Julian went off, did acting. He's been, he's now doing his badges, and he's becoming a coach. Clinton obviously is all over the telly. You can't move for the geezer. And I I, I really do feel that don't because you were very big, very early on broadening young players' horizons, not just saying it's football full stop, but actually talking to young players about. Be, I remember you used to take them to watch cricket, take mm. Palace players to watch cricket. Do you mean to get them? Uh, and I just, I, that would seem not so extraordinary these days. At the time, I'd have to say, I don't think many managers were doing that with their young players. There, there was no education off the field. You, 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 it was a bear pit. You either were good enough or you weren't. There was no middle ground. I've got to say, by the way, I'm not sure you did me a favour, actually, because it was Simon Jordan that took me on. And I had a, <laughs> a, a ten months of absolute nightmare. I mean, I, I, I once said to yeah. Simon, I'm a, cross, I'm a cross between your dad, your psychiatrist, and your football manager. Um, and I know he's on your programs now and I know he's on talk sport but at 30 years no, old I'm nothing to do brother. with that anymore Al. I'm nothing uh, to do well, with you that you should anymore. be you, you should be because you're one of the few people that speaks a lot of common sense and you've been there and done it so I, I you know it was great that I did get that uh, thing but I must say Simon was not really my cup of tea but getting back to Clinton and, and the lads I always thought even early on with Richard Shaw John Salarco all came from quite tough backgrounds, one-parent families. And I thought that was quite important. I mean, my famous quote, I don't always get it wrong because Gareth Southgate, I called in the office once and said, look, Gareth, if I was you, I'd give up football, I'd become a travel agent. Um, <laughs> and I, he'd gone round, we played in a friendly at Aldershot, Tom and Dylan, and we played in a friendly at Aldershot against the British Army, lost 3-0, and I was none too happy. I mean, to say the least, I was furious. Go in the changing room, point out a few things I'm not happy with in changing room language. And when I look around, there's no Gareth. He's going around shaking hands with all these guys from the British Army. So when he sits down, he was only 16. I said, Gareth, what have you been doing? He said, well, they've invited us in the mess for a drink. And I think it's nice that we go, you know. It's a I said, Gareth, several of those guys are in the SAS. They don't go around shaking their people's hand when they just killed them. So the next day, <laughs> I called him in. I called him in and I said, Gal, I've become a travel agent. But on a serious note, I'm hitting on what you said. I do that we lived in a very tough that sort of 80s, 90s period. There was no look, there was no coach player education, there was no coach education. And the staff was made up, and Dylan, you'll remember this. The staff was made up when I worked for Steve Coppel in through 84 to when we got to the cup fund, we never had a goalkeeping coach. We didn't have a sports yeah. psychiatrist. We didn't have a fitness coach. So he, Steve would say to me in the morning, uh, Al, um, blah, 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 uh, you take the goalkeepers today. So I take Nigel Martin and Perry Suckling goalkeeping. And they were such nice guys, they never complained. You know, they just put up with it. They complained once, I think, when we lost 9-0 to Liverpool that the goalkeeping coaching could have been better. But, you know, we lived in a very uneducated period and people didn't see it like that. And the failure rate, people talk about the success in football and you guys know, 
but there's a lot of there's a lot of people who don't make it as coaches or as players and there's no great help or there wasn't in those days I think we're still a bit short of help, aren't we? There's still a lot of box ticking goes on on that score. You know, that people say, oh, we do this, we do that. But you yeah. look and... You, Couldn't you, agree more, Tom. Under actually, yeah. you know, yeah. there's... Because when push comes to shove, you'll know this. Dylan, you'll know this. And it was like, it for you, when you were an apprentice, you know, we've got to be honest about the situation. And that's, that's what's lacking, really. I think you've got to be honest with boys. You've got to say, look, to be honest, at every age group, There'll be 11 or 12 players are involved on a Saturday afternoon and 10 of you are only there to make up numbers because there's only yeah. one of you even half a chance of playing football yeah. professionally. And that, no. you know, that, that just doesn't, that kind of, and the thing is, is that if you, if you're honest about it, if you're honest about it and say, look, the chances are you won't have a career in football, but what a life. Yeah. Spend your, your your teenage years coming in, training, being around a, a training ground, being around a football club, being around the first team play. What a great way to, what a great thing to have in your life for six, seven, eight, nine years. Absolutely fantastic. But what destroys it is if you're all the time being sold the dream. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing when that dream doesn't happen, it kills you. Yeah, Rather than those six or seven or eight years, even if you do go off and be a travel agent, yeah. Those, yeah. that time in the academy should be the best time of your life, whether you end up playing professionally or not. I think there, Tom, that's a great point. But let me also add, I think with coaches in the academies, and I, look, I don't want to go old school. I still do quite a few bit of coach development, and I love that because coaches need looking after. It's not stop players. There's too many players coaches we've got to be careful on bullying i totally get that i totally get that we've got to be fair and equal with everybody but sometimes there's too much praise given the hardest thing as a coach is to tell people what they're not good at or you know when you're in the acting and what you do now we've had this conversation many times it's very hard to say to people well look you're not very good at that but we can improve you and i find sometimes they live a little bit deluded you know oh, the kit's nice the coach is nice when we were doing it, Tom, and we learned what, what I did used to like about the way we ran it at Palace, and I know things have moved on. We've just opened a new academy at Palace, and it's fantastic. But you learned from your other professionals. And the other, you know, if you didn't clean Ian Wright's boots properly or Mark Bright or any of those, you knew about it. And I think today, that the, and of course, then you've got the added thing of the coach saying to a player, well, you're not quite good at this and you're not quite good at that. And he goes and sees his agent, and the agent then says, Tom, Dylan, oh, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much, but about that, I think you're all right. So you get it deluded into what you're about, and I, I really think that's a problem. I don't know how well, you I, feel about that, Dylan. And No, I'll, I'm, I'm Simon Osborne, you know, Ozzy. You know, yes, he, he's, 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 he's doing his, he, he's helping out at Bromley, and, and he's, he's working with these young kids at these, like, new academies that are not associated yeah. with the football club. And he, and he says exactly the same as what you said. It's, you know, the, the, they've all got the nice training gear, the nice fields, the nice 3G pitches. He said, but they don't, they, don't, they don't have that proper coaching. They don't have that proper education. And you can't shout at them anymore. You can't. I, I was an apprentice for a year. And, and what Tom said, I, I actually loved it for a year. I then signed a pro for a year. And being in that environment with, with players in, back in the day, Lee Chapman, Mick Lyons, uh, Mark. <laughs> 
George, you know, Gary Shelton, Gary Megson, all these players that I used to go out with them every Saturday night, every Wednesday night, every Monday <laughs> night. 17 years old. And 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 I was I was a I was a footballer, but without touching a football in the league. You know, and mm. and, and I got better because I was told I had to do ABC. I wasn't shown what to do. I was told what to do, and I had to do it to become a better player. And I and I and I did that. And and now, you know, like here in in, in South Africa, you have to treat these players with kid gloves. If you shout at these players, if you even swear yeah. at them, you know, you've yeah. lost them. You've lost them. Yeah. using the F word, using yeah. the F word, but you've actually got to pick and choose how you say that F word. And uh, it, 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 it's changed now. These kids now they don't they don't know what what they're actually missing by having that discipline and having that coach have a go at you because he, 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 he cares about you. He wants to become you can mm. you to better player. Mm. Well, Ozzy was a classic example of coming through the ranks. Joined us when he was fifteen, and and you know, Dylan. I mean, physically not a big lad but he had a brain that was razor sharp, right? And he saw the next move. But again, the people like Andy Gray, Jeff Thomas, if the Aussie didn't do it right, they told him before I told him. And when I became the manager of Crystal Palace, you know, I'd, I'd been lucky that I'd inherited some good players, but I had leaders like Chris Coleman, Gareth Southgate, Richard Shaw. And if the players weren't pulling their weight, Dylan, those lads yeah. were straight into them. And Gareth Southgate, we all know he's the most polite man going, and he is. He has good manners. But I've seen him get going to change him and have a fight with John Salako at Southampton when he wasn't pulling his weight. And I think that's... Yes, we all agree. It's how you do it, why you do it. There have been cases of bullying. We, we, we have to look at that. We can't ignore it. But there's a fine dividing line between bullying somebody and urging them on and pushing them to the next level... Yeah. Agreed. Jeff Hopkins, you know, when I met him, when I played already. Oh, brilliant. The nicest guy in the, in the dressing room. Oh. I mean, but on the field, oh, you don't mess Dylan, with Jeff now Hopkins. now you're talking. You know, Started he, he, did, he did pass my, he did tell me to pass his regards on from Australia. Oh, what, told, well, he, he was a hero of mine at Fulham. And then when I under Mallory, he was there. He had a bad knee. But what a terrific lad. Welsh international Arders now, polite as anything, but don't mess. You know, you didn't, no. you didn't mess with him. No, not no. at all. I, I, I think we can put old school down a bit. We've got to be careful. I, I get all that. And when I'm doing my coach, talking to coaches, I try and rationale it. But I, I think sometimes, sometimes players, I, I, I see them. I've got my own grandson was at Fulham. And I'd say to him, well, how'd you get on today? He said, well, we lost five nil, but the coach thinks we're improving. Well, you know, that leads a little bit, you know, a little bit more. In fact, in fact, they eventually let him go after being in there for, I think it looked for them for 10 years, 8 to 18 or 16. But, I, you know, I always got the feeling when I was watching it in the academy, they wanted to say the nice things, which I do, you do, Tom does. We yeah. all want to say nice things. But there are times when you've got to also say, lads, this, this is not good enough. You know, you must yeah. work at your game. But they, unfortunately, Dylan, to what you just said, they haven't got the senior pros, the way the academies are set up. And I used to find, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think the football combination, and again, I hope I'm not dating myself, was good. To play reserve team football 
was good. Yeah. What was your view on well, that? To get that now, to get that now, Alan, players have to go out on loan. And, you know, unless yeah. they are absolutely outstanding talents, can step out of an academy at 16 or 17 and straight into a first team. And every now and again, there is one like that, a Mason Greenwood or a Bukayo Saka or someone like that. But by yeah. and large, the ones who are 18, they've got to go out on loan to get exactly yeah. what you're talking about because they'll never get it in under 23 football. No. You know, you, you need to be in a in a dressing room where the result matters, where people mm -hmm. depend on a win bonus to pay their mortgage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the difficult or one of the difficulties is, of course, that lads will come in from academies, first year's pros will come in from an academy. If they go on loan to a League Two club, they'll be earning almost as much as the entire team they're playing alongside. <laughs> But if they can park that, yeah. if they can park yeah. that and dig yeah. in, well, then you've got, you know, and you you look, obviously, you've, you've, you've seen lads who it's it's worked for. Obviously, there are lads I know come come through at Arsenal, for example, you know, the Jack Wilshers, the Emil Smith-Rose of this world, who've gone out on loan. You know, I'll go back, David Beckham. Mm. Playing at Preston was the making of him. He was only there two years, mm. uh, two mm. months. Before they had him, before Sir Alex had him back to to Old Trafford, but those that experience of being around it's exactly what you and Dylan are talking about. That experience of being around senior professionals, of it mattering in a way that matches in academies will never matter, in age groups will never matter. It don't matter. If you know, you look at the the, the kind of the the Premier League uh, under twenty threes and under eighteens. With all due respect. It's a way, it, 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 you know, it's a way for boys to waste Saturday afternoons, by and large. I'll agree. I'll agree, Tom. I'll agree. We do it. You know, we do it. Six months. Six months. All right. So a, a lot of those lads may not be, because things have changed, may not be physically or psychologically ready to be chucked in to a League One dressing room or a League Two dressing room or a National League dressing room. But then there's others... It's exactly what they need. And if they're physically and psychologically... I was at Barnet. I was, I was at Barnet on Saturday watching um, uh, Barnet played uh, Maidenhead United. Barnet had got a lad in on loan from, uh, um, from Norwich. He's a goalkeeper. He's 23. You go, what are you wasting your time for? He's come to Barnet and he's playing every week. He looks a proper goalkeeper. He's been playing under 23 football for the last two or three years, wasting his time, completely wasting his time. Alan, can I? You mentioned uh, two players already. I wanted to ask you about these these two players as, as good examples, if you like, of what we've been talking about. Uh, you mentioned Ian Wright. You talked about John Salako. We we've had as as a guest on the show. What were they? And you mentioned the the background that you know. You, I think you said something along the lines that they come from a difficult background. How important was it for players like that coming in? They just want to play football, but to get the kind of support, you know, from from a family, if you like. How important was that well, development? Do you think? Yeah, I think it was very important. I mean, most of that group was, was South London boys. You know that we were a South London team. We did silly things. We went on trips that with mobile phones you wouldn't be able to do today. Um, you know, I joked about the, the Cape Town trip, but we, the, the year we went to the cup final, by the way, 
every round we went to Tenerife. We'd get the 10 o'clock flight out from Luton and come back on a Tuesday. Under Steve Coppell and Ian Wright and John Salako went on those trips. And, and the only reason I mention it, although I'm laughing about it, it made a man of you. And also, it showed how other people live. And I've always got this saying, uh, come into the real world. I think I live in what I consider the real world. I go in a pub, I go, I've got, been on the underground today. And with those guys, they all lived in what I considered the real world. They were realists. In a way, they're both bad examples because the day Ian Wright came into our club at 24, we couldn't believe he'd never been at a club. We just couldn't believe it. He, he, I think he had one game in our reserves and went straight in our first team. John took a little bit longer. But John was a talented cricketer. He's a talented singer. Uh, so he, he really, that they were a little bit the... Uh, Simon Osborne, who we talked about earlier, sensible mum and dad, but we have a lot of South London boys with one-parent families. And of course, I, and I don't want to make a joke of this, and I don't, because it could be taken the wrong way. But, you know, John Salaka and Richard Shaw would come and stay at my house. And after a game, because there were no cars in those days, Dylan, as you know, yeah. you know, players didn't, 16-year-olds didn't have cars. So we'd play Norwich Reserves on a Friday night. We'd come back. One o'clock in the morning, I'd be knocking on the door. My wife be going, what time to call this? This is ridiculously late. Don't you take any keys? And I go, darling, I've got Richard and John with me. Near the two little boys down there. So they'd come in. Now, today, that would be incredible. Could, could be misconceived. But actually, yeah. I did it as a kindness. And, and and John will tell you, and I'm not, I don't know whether it is a thing to boast about. Both Shorzy and uh, they still call me dad. That's what they call me, dad. Not when yeah. I gained the manager. I mean, they did get decent. They called me Gaffer then. But, you know, <laughs> um, but Dylan will tell you, you had to be much more than just a football coach because we were competing with Queen's Park Rangers, Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, and we had to do a little bit more to encourage players. And, and one of the reasons we could do that was a, a little bit of kindness and, and a little bit of thought. And I suppose getting back to what you said a few minutes ago, and I don't want to put Clinton down, but he had never been, I don't know how old he was when we when Tom told that story, but I would have said about 19, something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, he, and I, I'm not putting him down, but he didn't hold a knife. Now, is it important he holds a knife and fork properly? Not really. But we were staying in five-star hotels, you know, as a club. And you didn't really want the lad just going in the restaurant. So I, I think you had to be a bit more than just a, a football coach and when you see these great coaches and by the way Alex Ferguson you couldn't get any bigger than him the players talk very endearingly about the the father figure that he put there how do you feel find on that guys Tom yeah well I, well, I, I, I get it here go on, my, sorry, players, my, my players here in South Africa have been here eight, nearly two years now and the three clubs that I've been at and this one even even just started now you know, they, they, they call me father. And I'm <laughs> oh, but that's how they, because, you know, I, I, I treat them as I was treated as a, as, a, as a young boy and as a young player. And, it, and it's so nice when, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll phone you or they'll drop me a message and it's, I, how are you doing, father? You know, and, it, and it's, <laughs> it's phenomenal what you're saying. Really? Because that happens with these, with these African players. It's, it, it's, it's amazing what you're saying. I'm I'm, I'm I'm aware, Alan. I'm aware that we're you know we're limited on time that we can we can record and stuff. And I've 
<clears throat> you've already mentioned him. I've, I've got to ask you um, about Gareth, who I'm sure doesn't call you dad, but that is a, you know, that is a, a, a relationship that's gone on. You and Gareth Southgate, it, you know, you've, you've covered a lot of ground together. And I'm just thinking back to, to the summer and looking at the job he's done as England manager. I'm, you must be very proud of him. Proud in the way a father might be of a son yeah, who's done well, good. Do you know what I mean? He's well, just, yeah. what he's well, done I, with England is just fantastic. I think one of the things that he does do, he treats the England team as if it's a club team. He, he doesn't treat them, and, he, and he's very good. I mean, he's now 51, so he's coaching players that are now 24, 25, and he, they have got that respect, but he's managed to knit them. But what I would say about Gareth, and I told that story, I hope not against him when he was 16 and he captain the team. Gareth has always had to fight for everything he's had. He's never been given anything. He had to fight for his first contract at 16. He then became a professional at 18. And he, he played over 100 football combination team games before he got into the team. I then become the manager. I make him manager and he wins the championship for us. We go to two cup semi-finals under him including King jumping on him in one of the cup semi-finals. Then he fell out with Ron Nose because he wanted to back me, which he shouldn't have really done because you can't fall out with the chairman. But I would say with Garth, he's never been given anything easy, Tom. And under that very polite exterior, and he is polite, and I can honestly say I don't want to be... Uh, he hasn't changed. Uh, I wouldn't want to fall out with him. There's a real bit of steel about him, and... It's, he yeah. says to me, Alan, I've been unlucky. He, he says sometimes I've been lucky because people have underestimated me. You know, if you'd have said two years ago, how many times did Gareth Southgate play for England? The average fan, they'd probably go 10, 11. Well, it was 58, you know. So I think he's crept up on the rails a bit. But as a role model, uh, and by the way, I'm not making him a goody-goody. Uh, anybody who's listening to it, he likes a a pint of beer, he, he, he can hold his own. And I'm not saying that says we judge men, we don't, but he's he can be one of the boys when he has to. But now, obviously, with the position he's got. So, and this sounds slightly boastful, and I hope it isn't, but every game during the Euros last year, every game I went with his wife, Alison, his daughter, and his mum and dad and me, they were always our five tickets every game. Um, although I did get quite annoyed about the behaviour of the England fans leading up to Wembley Way, but <laughs> that's, by the way, yeah. no, very proud, Tom. But it, it, look, it, it, he will ask me about tonight. He's more, he always seems more interested in what other people do do than what he does himself. And he went on that, well, that, trip that to South, that, South that, Africa that Dylan was talking about. Sorry, Tom. No, no, yeah. I was just going to say that is absolutely it. Is that you know we've we've all grown up with the idea that a ma the manager, the head coach, the captain, is the guy who does all the talking. Mm. Gareth is an unbelievable listener. Yeah, yeah. He constantly wanted so that you look at you look at the situation with it. I can't think of any. I you know I looked at that group of players and looked at the like you say the kind of the club yeah. atmosphere, but but also just what that group of players represented as Englishmen. And I just thought, that is unique. That is something very, very special indeed. Obviously, we're all disappointed we didn't win the final. 
but park that. There's something really of lasting value that Gareth has created there. And it's not that he's gone in there and gone, right, this is what England's going to be like. What he's mm. done is he's gone and gone, this was my England experience. Mm. What's yours? And he's mm. gone to players who he probably, you know, he's dealing with players who come from backgrounds and um, uh, have come through um, clubs that very, very different from his own personal experience. Mm. But because he listens, he gets them on board. It's quite, it's, we've gone sort of full circle in a way here, Tom, because I don't know, have, did you read his last book or have you read it? Or not? I haven't, no. Have you, Dylan? No, not, not at all. Uh, I'll yeah. get you, um, I, I, he'd kill me if he knew I was going to do this and I didn't know it was going to come up. But in, in, about, in about March of this, can you see it or not, or the way I'm doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he bought out this book, which is called uh, Anything is Possible. Be brave, be yeah. kind, follow your dreams. And, and the proceeds went to the Princess Trust. And he would kill me if he knew I was doing this. But the point I was going to make there, Dylan, and if you want, I'll get you a copy and send it to you so you can see your boys, you know, in South Africa. What he talks yeah. about in here is when he was a kid, he was called Big Nose. He couldn't get in the team. He couldn't get recognised. He was released by Southampton. Uh, you know, the way the, the dressing room was cruel. Uh, and he says, look, people look at me now. It's what he says in the book. Uh, people look at me now and think, oh, there's a successful guy in a waistcoat. He said he, that they don't realise that at 21, 22, I was a bag of nerves. Uh, he, he quotes that story I told you in there. And a lot of the things that we've covered here, um, he writes about in the book, just as it wasn't easy what I had to do, you know, and I needed a bit of help. And, it, you know, things, I wasn't a naturally gifted footballer. And I think that comes back to what you, right to the start of this, Tom, when you were talking about your books and that bit more in depth of, of whatever. Yeah. But Dylan, if you want I'll, me to I'll send you, I'm, I'm not forcing it on you, but, you know, by all means, it's, it's a good read that you can pass on Alan, to your Alan, young we're gonna, guys. We're almost out of time now, so I'm, I'm going right. to um, finish, finish there and, and just say thank you so much for coming on. It's been fantastic and really great to have you on the show, so thank you. Yeah, great to see you two guys, or three guys as well. Thank you very much. Alan, I'll catch up with you very soon, mate. I owe you a phone call, or 20. No, it's well, always you, good. You could have called me. I haven't oh, changed okay. my number. Thanks, Alan. No, that's fine. And Thanks, by the yeah. way, if you want to read this, I'll do it. Okay. No. Happy Christmas to all of you. Happy See Christmas. Good luck, Dylan. Talk to you soon, now. And you, mate. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Early Doors Football Podcast for football fans worldwide. If you want to get in touch with Mark and the rest of the team, you can reach them on early doors at forthenow.co.uk.